additional fees will you be ready to pay to capture those additional wages? Okay, so on Sunday, on the Guardian website, there was that quote that uh, students should be treated more as paying customers and given better information about the quality of their courses before they embark on a degree. The new government's framework for university is expected to say so on Tuesday, which is today. Okay, so that's very uh, up-to-date. Uh, there's not that much evidence on the effect of institution or the effect of quality in the UK. There's quite a lot in the US, but the US market is quite different. It's, it works much more like a market. So that's, that's why that paper, I think, is of interest. Okay, so as I said, there is a debate on fees at the moment happening in the UK. So there's lots of players trying to uh, obviously pull the carpet towards them. So universities are saying we are losing money on students and the most vocal one is Oxford saying that at the current standards of funding, we are losing 8,000 pounds per student. So we will want to charge them more. They're not saying that they want to charge another, an additional 8,000, but it's kind of the ballpark that they, that they mention. Uh, at the same time, the, Sir Martin Harris, who is going to be the head of that commission, who is going to review the evidence on fees and should set the maximum of fees that university will be able to charge, has already said before the commission has started that he thinks that the maximum should be 5,000. Okay, so the commission has not started any work, but he has already stated what he wants the results to be. So we all have to work out that we need to get to 5,000 at the end. Um, and the students' students, which I've not reported here, have also put some proposal forward saying that they don't object to students having to pay for their education, but they don't like fees and they would rather have a graduate tax. Okay, so there's, there's lots of discussions at the moment regarding fees in higher education um, and whether or not uh, they should be uniform on, or not. Okay. So, Let's say that we have a measure of university quality. I'm going to tell you more in a few slides how quality is going to be measured. Uh, so here we have a measure of university quality, so at the institution level. And we have the raw mean wages of graduates from that institution three years after leaving uh, university. Okay, so just on the, on the raw data, well, there seems to be a positive gradient between more quality and higher wages. Okay, so at least we are looking at something that where this there seems to be some action. What's, qual what's quality? I don't see here. I'm going to start. Sorry? What's, what's quality? I'm going to tell you in a oh, few slides. Oh, sorry. Yeah. 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 sorry. Yeah, yeah. So uh, at the moment, it's still a secret, but I didn't want to have to tell you about quality and then give you some. I could have done that, in fact. Um, so what are the challenges? The first challenge is how to measure quality. So quality of higher education is, is difficult to measure. In the, in the literature, there is various things that have been used, so like some teaching, sco teaching score. So in, in the UK, for example, we have a, a teaching assessment that happened every six years or about. Um, so that could be a measure of, of quality, but that's really just about the teaching. Um, in the US, things that have been used quite a lot have been academic expenditures, uh, student-teacher ratio. Then you can try to measure some kind of value-added that's often more into school. So you, you kind of predict what are the expected grades of the students, the type of students that you have. Uh, and then if your grades differ compared to that expectation, then that's your measure of value-added. 
you can use some institutional differences, typically uh, old university versus new university. Uh, but maybe what you would want as a measure of quality would be the labor market outcome. That's, that's the one that will encompass everything that is about quality of, of higher education, as, at least as seen by the employers. So what we are going to use as a, as a measure of quality is something that encompasses most of those things, which is the Guardian score. So every year, the Guardian newspaper publishes a ranking of universities. In fact, it's going to be a ranking of departments second point that I'm going to make. But they also have a ranking of universities. And that ranking is based on a lot of those things. I'm also going to give you the details in a second. But the ranking takes a lot of those various things that we think are associated with quality of higher education. Um, so why did I choose a garden? Uh, okay. uh, that's the one that I got access to the most easily. They were happy to collaborate and give me their figures. Um, also, The Guardian is a newspaper uh, that, on education, is uh, probably the most prominent. They publish uh, uh, a supplement every week on, on education, so you may think that that's the one that people are going to read about things about regarding education, and that potentially the one that students are going to read when they apply to university and want to have some information about the quality of the places that they are applying to. Okay, so the advantage of that measure as well is that uh, well, it encompasses various things, as I said, and it's also uh, at the level of the department. Okay, so we are going to be able to measure quality in the department where you graduated from, in the university where you graduated from, where all the rest of the literature has just been me measuring quality at the institution level. Okay, we'll see whether that makes a big difference. Um, So that's on how to measure quality. That's one of the, the challenges. The second challenge is the issue of selection of students to institutions. So students are not going to be randomly allocated to institutions. Um, and typically what you tend to have is that high quality students end up in high quality institutions, low quality students in low quality institutions, and it's hard to separate the effect of the two on the wages of those individuals. So here I'm going to try to convince you that with the, in the UK system set up, we can credibly say that we can have selection on the observables. Okay? Because students are applying through a central system, and we are going to have all the information that, well, almost all the information that universities have when they make their decision to recruit some to uh, accept, accept a student or not. Okay? So we have exactly the same information as the universities when they make their decision. Okay, so I'm going to go back into the details of those, of those two points. So, so that's for regarding the second point about uh, selection. <coughs> so here is the N-level score of students. That's going to be my measure of quality of students. Okay, so that's the uh, exam that they take at age 18. Um, we only keep the best three of those, of those uh, subject-based exams. And if you get an A in that exam, you get 10 points. So the maximum point that you can get is 30. And here is my measure of quality that I've now between 0 and 100. So what you can see is that okay, there is a distribution. There's people pretty much everywhere. But there's not that many good students in not very good institutions. And there's not that many poor students in top institutions. Okay, so there's 
there is some selection. It's not randomly allocated. So previous evidence. Uh, Previous evidence for the US tend to suggest that there is some returns to quality in terms of higher wages, uh, and that those additional wages that you get are pretty much in line with the tuition fee differential. Um, then there is a couple of papers by Dan Black and Jay Smith that are important. Uh, there are first ones saying like, okay, OLS is going to be biased for various reasons. Uh, mostly because of that selection, but we can use propensity score matching. When we do that, we find that there is some high returns, around 12% for men, for moving from the lowest quartile to the top quartile. Uh, you may think that may not be the margin at which we are really interested, because students are probably not going to be really deciding between a, a bottom institution and a top institution. So those are probably not the institutions that students are comparing. Uh, and then in their second paper, they, they are really focusing on the issue of measurement error. Okay, so, but they, basically, their, their, their results, even in the second paper, are in the same ballpark that you have quite large returns to quality. Um, and then there is a, a couple of papers uh, saying that, okay, but there will also be, let's say, that there's some selection on unobservable characteristics. Uh, so one nice paper is a paper by Bergen and Kruger, where basically they have a small data set of people who applied to basically Ivy League uh, universities. And they know each colleges that those people have applied to and the final choice that they make. So basically, they, they take people to apply to the same set, but end up in different institutions and compare them, and then they find that there is no difference in quality uh, between those people who went to different institutions. So that could be because the sample that they have selected is really quite peculiar. Uh, Berman and Kossos, uh use twins in order to uh, capture those unobservable characteristics. So they compare twins who go to different institutions and they find some positive effect of going to a more higher quality institution. 12% is hourly wages? Uh, is it hourly? It's on wages for... Some sort of. Yeah. So that's like saying if you go to some crap university, Lucan or something, the degree gets you 30% premium, and you go to Oxford, you get 42. So we could interpret it. But, as you say, that may not be the margin at which we are really interested. Probably looking for us, we're not recording today. Apologies. We're from Luton, if we are. Well. So in the UK, there's quite a bit of work that has been done. That tends to be for uh, cohorts that were not affected by fees. So those people may have made different choice because wherever they went, uh, they do not have to pay. Uh, tend to find returns between, let's say, uh, 1 and 5%. Okay? But those papers usually don't account for any selection. They just do OLS. Uh, and, and that's all they do. As I've got an old paper that was trying to account for selections, so doing some propensity score matching, and using Russell Group institution versus non-Russell groups, and here you were finding returns that were basically in the same kind of ballpark, between 1 and 6%. <coughs> uh, 
Okay, so what's different compared to the rest of the literature? So here we are going to use subject departmental specific quality measure. Measure uh, quality is also going to be measured continuously rather than just uh, a dichotomous measure that has been used in, in most other places. Uh, and we have the universe of all institutions of the UK for a cohort that paid fees. So we are going to use uh, several types of estimators to, see, to look at the robustness of our, of our results. Um, and basically what we are going to find is that there is some heterogeneity in the returns to uh, higher education quality and that most of it, most of the returns to uh, quality is for the top institutions. Okay, so in the, in the middle part of the distribution there is not that much difference from moving to a higher quality institutions. Doesn't really buy you more much. But if you <coughs> manage to get into one of the top ones then there is really some high returns. Uh, and then something that we probably will have time to discuss, hopefully, is that the return seems to, seems to stem mostly from institution quality rather than departmental quality. You know, I'm thinking about, depending on the measure of quality, you have different kind of measure of quality earlier on, rather kind of measure that are more, more independent from the selection than others, you know. Maybe the, the Guardian one, in terms of department scoring, it might be less, uh, more independent on the selection of than the one when you look on the score on the exam, for example. And the, what, what I have in mind is, suppose that now you increase the fees and you start having creating a selection. But some to say that the good students are the poor students. So the good students don't go there and go to the good universities. And then after you will have, depending on the measure of quality, reactions in, in what is your quality tomorrow, the quality of that university will drop. But if I take a measure of quality that is more independent on the quality of the students, that will be constant over time. So what I'm trying to tell you is it's really to be careful in the way because I don't know if this kind of departmental measure of scoring is a good measure of quality, or maybe the other one, the score of the exam is a better one. So okay, so the Guardian no, it's a, it's a bit more specific than that. I w it's coming uh, it's coming over here, in fact, so I can skip one. <laughs> so that's quite in the measure of quality of the Guardian. So it's going to be the, the teaching inspection score. So that's kind of that, that external measure that, that comes. The A-level grades of the student of the intake of students. So that's the idea here is that. Maybe quality is just because of peer effect. So you end up in an institution with lots of good people, you're going to learn a lot. And so that's what they want to capture. Um, they also take academic expenditures, the student staff ratio, so, so they have that. Uh, they have some measure of value, value added, which I've got to admit, I don't know how they calculate it, because uh, it's, it's a secret formula. Uh, because basically all newspapers try to, to publish some, some grades. So they all have a little different tweaks. So the Guardian's one is that they have some measure of value added. Uh, so looking at the documentation that I could get, it's basically yeah, based on the entry level of students. They try to predict what should their grades be when they leave university. And then if the university does better than that, then they get positive or negative value added. And then they have a measure of the job prospects of graduates of that university six months after graduation. Okay, so whether they are in what they call a graduate job or whether they are doing some postgraduate studies. So it's, it's just a dichotomous uh, variable. Um, so the Guardian score is a weighted average of all those things. So it, they try to be quite uh, broad in what they define as quality. Uh, 
they don't they don't give you the, the raw um, inputs or so you, you get no so I have to take I have to take the full thing I couldn't uh, extract just the bit of variable that I wanted that's that's one of the problem because one of the concerns was having that, that job prospect for example which is a labor market outcome when I'm also interested in a labor market outcome so my difference for that is that I'm looking at the Guardian score when people entered university. So, so people who graduated in 2003, the Guardian score 2000. Uh, so it's for a cohort that is three years older than the one that uh, I'm looking at. Okay, so it's, it's not contemporary. But he's measured every year? Yes, so it's based on the uh, survey uh, that is done six months after graduation. So it's a national survey that's tried to get the universe of students, and usually they get about 75% of respondents. I mean, do they change much over time? Um, yeah, there is a bit of, I mean, I've, yes, I've, I've started looking at that. How much, how much variation there is over time? Uh, <coughs> there, is, there is some variation in, in the ranking. So every year there is some interesting moving a little bit. Uh, I mean, I looked at the top five. The top four are pretty much always constant, but the fifth yeah. one changes uh, a little bit depending on which year you're looking at. Because if you look at some of these international ones, and I'm a happy host about this, these international rankings, you get really big changes to a degree which is just not credible. Yeah. Some university goes from being 170th in the world to 100th. I just yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so here the changes are, are much, much smaller. You basically, all, I mean, from what I looked at, you never see somebody, the university moving by more than 10 points. Mm -hmm. to be I mean, in the middle of the distribution, there is quite a lot of changes because they are very, their scores are really close to each other. Uh, so you, you can potentially move quite a bit. At the top, yeah, there is not that much. So at the top, you have what you would expect. You will have Oxford, Cambridge, uh, LSE, UCL, and Imperial uh, in pretty much all years. But sometimes St. Andrews creeps in. Uh, at least in one of the years, St. Andrews was there in the top five. Okay. So it's not only about economics. <laughs> Maybe when the... Prince was in St. Andrews, they got some. That had a big effect on their intake of students. Uh, so it's kind of a broad measure of quality, trying to capture various aspects of quality. Do you think it's fair that institutions use the quality of peers as some indication of the quality of the institution? I think they're two very separate things. You can think of it as like, am I paying money? Am I paying my fees just to get into an environment with other high quality students? I mean, that's very different from the service that the institution provides. So at the very least, maybe it could be taken out of that measure and used as a separate, um, separate variable. Can you disaggregate that? No, I can't. That's, uh, I can't at the moment. I'm still trying to get the... At the moment, I don't have each of the separate components at the departmental level. Uh, so I've got to take the full, full measure. Uh, but then you may... I don't know. Uh, Peer effects are kind of important. Okay, it may not be something that the university is really doing, mm -hmm. but that it managed to attract all those good people who want to come there. Sure, sure. Uh, so potentially compared to previous work, we may, we may hope that we have a measure of quality that may be closer to what the students have experienced because it's at the departmental level rather than the institution. Okay, so does it matter? So the, the correlation between subject uh, level quality and institution level quality is only about two thirds. And, and you can see there is quite a bit of variation. So I'm not sure how much you can see there. Um, but on the x axis here, I've got each institution in the UK. And on the y axis, it's a measure of quality. 
And the white dot, okay, let's go to the last one because it's a bit clearer, it's, it's on its own. So the white dots at uh, each department is at university. Okay, so they have some pretty good departments that are almost in the 80s and some pretty lousy departments in one given university. So see, there's quite a lot of, of variation within a university. And here is the average. Okay, so there's some variations on the averages, so across universities, but there's also quite a lot of variation within universities. So that's what I'm uh, saying here, that maybe we have a more precise measure of the, of the quality that the student has experienced. So what was it that I skipped? Okay, so the slide that I skipped before was uh, a short description of the, of the data. So what we are going to be using is a longitudinal destination of levels of higher education. <coughs> so that's the first time that that data set uh, was collected, it was in 2006. So it's, uh, it's the first wave of that data set. We have now a second, a second one for the cohort of people who left in 2006 and were therefore surveyed in 2009. So you may have heard of the destination of levels of higher education. So that, that survey that is done at six months after graduation among the universe of students. Okay, so that's the one that was also used in the Guardian score. Uh, and then at three and a half years, basically they take a subsample of the people who answered that six months once. Uh, so it's, it's much smaller. Uh, Basically, we end up with uh, seven, seven and a half thousand people. So we only look at people with a first degree. Uh, we applied through UCAS, so we don't want people who uh, manage to get to university directly. There's a few of them, uh, but they are going to be mostly uh, non-British students. Uh, we want also non-mature students because then the wages that we observe after university may be dependent on the wages that they had before and it's not exactly what we want to, to capture. Uh, we're only going to keep people in full-time employment because we have no idea of the number of hours that they are working. Uh, and we are going to cap uh, wages uh, earnings at £60,000 a year. That's basically, there was 22 observations that had wages greater than that. Uh, and since we have the occupation in which those people were working, I could compare them to the average earning of that occupation, and they were way out of line, so I was really concerned that it was just some measurement error. So <coughs> decided to drop those people. You can keep them in, doesn't make a huge difference, so few of them. Uh, and we need to have a, measure, a valid measure of quality. So the Guardian has almost all the institutions in the, in the country uh, but there are some small institutions that are not in the Guardian, uh, especially if they do only one subject. Uh, so very specialized institutions are not in the Guardian. And also there is a couple of institutions who don't want to participate in it, and therefore are excluded. So we end up with uh, 7,500 observations. So yes, those people were observed, as I said, three and a half years after graduation in 2006. Okay, so that we've seen, that we've seen. Right, so student selection. Um, so as I said before, students are not <coughs> randomly selected. Uh, but we're going to try to convince you that in the UK it's credible to say that we can have selection on observables. So we are going to be able to try to replicate the decisions made by universities. So how do people apply? They apply through a, a centralized system, which is called the UCAS system. And they can make six, up to six choices. So, and the choice is an institution and a subject. 
Okay, so you can decide to, if you really want to be at, let's say UCD was part of the system, if you really want to be at UCD, you would say, I want to be at UCD and doing economics, sociology, politics. That would be your six choices. Just UCD all the time and then six different subjects. Or if you say that you, somebody who really wants to do economics, he would put economics and then he can say, okay, Trinity, UCD, or uh, so that's kind of a restricted uh, choice that people can make. So they only have six choices. Then the institutions decide based on predicted scores because people applied in the year before going to university. So their, their final exam scores are not known yet. So based on their previous, um, their predicted scores, the university make a decision whether or not they want to accept that student or not. And basically they make a conditional offer. So either they say no, that's finished, or they say yes, conditional on achieving a, a certain grade. Um, then students can only keep two of those conditional offers. So if they are good students, you expect potentially they will get six positive answers. They can only keep two. And typically what students will do, they will keep, and they have to rank those two, between the one that will be their first choice and the one that will be their insurance choice. Um, and what is the insurance choice? It's the university that you will get into in case you don't fulfill the condition that was set by the first university. So say you really want to come to UCD and do economics, and they say, okay, we'll take you on condition that you get 26 points out of 30. Uh, and then you also get an offer from another institution that I'm not going to name that tells you, okay, we'll take you even if you get 20 points out of 30. Um, so you, you, may, you may want to keep those two because, okay, the first one is the one that you really want to go, <coughs> and the second one is, okay, in case I don't do so well at the exam, at least I still get into economics. Okay? The other choices may be even lower than that. Okay, so that creates, we believe, some uh, heterogeneity in the choice that students have to make. They have to kind of get some insurance that they are going to get somewhere. So they, they have to apply to a university that is maybe slightly less prestigious than the one that they really want to, just as an insurance. And that's the one that they are also going to keep. Like, uh, and then there is a clearing mechanism. So, before we move to the clearing, sorry, just backtrack a little bit. Then when the results are uh, out, then th the matches are made. So people who got enough points to go to their favorite choice go to their favorite choice. If they lack their favorite, enough points to go to their favorite choice but have enough to go to their insurance, <coughs> they go to their insurance. Otherwise, they go to a system called clearing. So clearing is for people who either didn't get any offer in the first place or failed to get enough points for their, for their insurance. And here is basically uh, a real market. Uh, institutions that still have places, and that tend to be not the best one, uh, advertise, on, uh, advertise that they still have places. Students just call them and say, OK, I've got so many points. Do you want to take me? Yes or no? Okay. So here at Cleary, you could have some pretty good students who just marginally miss their top choice or insurance choices and now end up having to go through clearing and they will go to a much lower quality institution. Okay, so there's, in that system, I think we, uh, there's some particularities that make that you will end up with some good students in not so good institutions uh, because, because of the system. 
And as I said before, we have almost the same information as the university have when they make their decisions. The difference is that we have the realized uh, A-levels rather than the predicted A-levels. Okay, so that was just more on that. Okay, so if we look at the distribution of A-levels by the quality quartile, uh, basically what we, what we can see is that there's going to be some common support. So there's some students at all levels of uh, ability that are in all institutions. But obviously the, the top institutions tend to concentrate on the, on the top uh, ability students. And they select an observable. I mean, we can get as many three A's Right, so I'm going, I'm going at, so at, at the moment I'm going to keep Oxford, Cambridge and the medical schools and then after that I'm going to exclude them because Oxford, Cambridge and medical schools also interview students before taking them and then the selection on observable is not credible anymore. Uh, but for, for other institutions there is no interview, it's just a UCAS form. Um, so if we look at the descriptive stats, uh, what do we have? Uh, obviously, uh, as we've seen previously, in the higher quarti quality quartile, students at better quality. What other differences? Their parents also tend to be quite different, so they are going to be much more like managerial, much more likely to be managers and professionals. Uh, and the other one that is also of interest is the school that they come from. So, independent schools, you're much more likely to come from independent schools if you go into a top institution. Okay, if we look at the salaries of those uh, people, it's not, a, it's not a log. Uh, you can see that basically moving from quartile one to quartile two gives you an, an extra thousand pounds on average. Here there's really not that much happening between quartile two and quartile three, and moving to quartile five is an extra three thousand. So basically, you just look at that line and you have an idea what the story is going to be. Uh, so if we do OLS, um, first without much control, uh, basically, uh, just to control about where people are currently living. There is quite high returns to quality. So moving to quality <laughs> two rather than quality one is the base. So compared to the lowest quality, there is quite high returns. Uh, but as soon as you control for a level, so the ability of the students, uh, so the returns are at least half, if not more. And after that, you can add more controls. It doesn't change too much, uh, but the returns carry on uh, decreasing the more control you have. Okay, the last column is uh, maybe uh, also control for the subject of graduations, which I'm not completely sure whether we should, because that could be a, a choice made by, by uh, students. So for example, if you really want to go to a top quality institution, or what you perceive as a top quality institution, you may choose a subject for which you think uh, you have a, a greater likelihood of being accepted. Okay, so. Uh, so, so from there, what you can see is that there is some positive returns to, to quality, uh, but really controlling for high levels uh, really uh, take most of them out. Uh, don't want to spend too much time on OLS because basically we are going to argue that they are going to be biased due to the non-random allocation of the students. So. One way of overcoming this problem is to use a propensity score matching. So, 
I was trying to convince you before is that here potentially we, we think that we can have uh, selection on observables uh, so we can do some propensity score matching. So what happens if we do that? So I'm going to compare adjacent quartiles uh, for two reasons because uh, one is because I think it's more like the margin that students are already uh, comparing. So going to compare institutions that are reasonably close in quality, or departments that are reasonably close in quality. And the other one is because it makes the matching uh, much easier, because those students are going to be much more similar than if you want to compare the, the top people in the top quartile and people from the bottom quartile, then you end up with uh, a common support that is pretty thin. Okay, so if you, if you compare adjacent quarter, quartiles, the support is pretty good. Uh, basically, the story is similar to what I was showing you in the descriptive statistics, is that there is some returns to going to a top quality institution compared to a, a third quality. So between three, third and fourth quartile, there is quite large returns, uh, but between the other quartiles, there is nothing. Okay, so we could look at the distributions, but it's not so interesting. So just telling you that... Uh, Basically, there is quite a lot of common support. Okay, so so far what I've done is I've kind of thrown away a lot of information because I have a continuous measure of quality, but I've just truncated it into quartile. So mm -hmm. what we could do instead is to keep uh, quality as a continuous measure. So we could do the same as we've done before. We could do LS. Again, well, as soon as you control for L levels, you kind of halve the returns. Uh, and after that, adding more controls just reduce them a little bit further. Uh, but with a, with a continuous measure of, of quality, we can also do some uh, continuous treatment matching. So here the idea is that basically the same as in propensity score matching, but the treatment that you have is continuous. Uh, so it's probably uh, not so interesting. So let's look at some graph. So basically here what you're going to look at is basically the, the response to a treatment. So if you, if you increase quality a little bit, how much uh, additional returns do you get? And you could do that throughout the full uh, range of, of treatment. Okay, so here are my low quality institutions. If you increase quality a little bit, uh, basically you get some returns to uh, moving from institutions that are not at the bottom, moving away from the bottom. There's not, there's not that many observations here, so don't want to spend too much time on it. Uh, in the bulk of the distribution, there's basically no uh, significant returns to, to quality. And then towards the end, again, there's some quite large returns to quality. So again, attending the, the top quality institutions, you get some returns to it. The vertical bars here tells you where the thresholds for my quartile that I used before uh, are. So that's moving from quarter one to quarter two, quarter two to three, quarter three to four. So basically by chance when I divided it by quartile, I pretty much end up at the point where the returns become positive. Uh, <coughs> so that was when I don't control for subject. If I control for the subject of graduations, I basically get the same kind <coughs> of, of graph. Uh, the returns are a little bit more compressed. Okay, but same story was that there is no returns in the middle and that the returns only start from basically the top quartile uh, departments. So have you excluded the top universities and medical students at this stage? No, that's 
on that one. Um, so those are my best estimates, either by propensity score matching or by continuous treatment matching. Um, the first thing that I do as a robustness check is I've got about 700 students who have not reported their A-level, and they're a bit of a mixed bunch. There are people who don't have A-level or A-level equivalents, so people who had hires are included in the people with A-levels. There's some equivalent square that you can use. Uh, but there could be people with foreign qualifications, or also people who managed to get admitted without A-levels, but because of some uh, other characteristics. And it could also be, I spoke to people at UCAS, uh, people who have A-levels, but they don't get reported in the system. So it's a bit of a mixed bunch, so I decided to exclude them to see how robust the results were. It doesn't make a difference. So something that is more of a concern is that some institutions have interviews. Uh, so that's going to be Oxford, Cambridge, and the medical schools. And obviously, all those institutions are characterized by being pretty high-quality institutions and also having graduates who get pretty high earnings. So obviously, when you get rid of them, <coughs> it hits your estimate quite a lot, especially at a, at a high level here, because you're, you're getting rid of quite a lot of observations. But when you look at the continuous treatment matching, it doesn't change the story too much. Okay, so here we are just at the verge of significance, much lower than, than we were before. Uh, but on the continuous treatment matching, we get reason, reasonably similar results. So excluding those institutions doesn't completely change the story, uh, but obviously re reduce the size of the estimates. Okay, but <coughs> believe that those institutions shouldn't really be in because they are, uh, yeah, they have interviews process, so the selection on observable is, is less credible for them. Um, then we look at heterogeneity between men and women. Basically, we don't find, don't find much difference, nothing significant in differences in the returns to quality by, by gender. And then in the last column is basically wondering, do people really care about a specific measure of quality or do they just care about the rank that an institution has in a given subject? So, do I care whether UCD has a quality level of 80 out of 100, or that UCD is in the top five in the, in the subject that I want to do? Okay. So here what I do is that uh, for each subject, I rank uh, departments, and I take the quartile of your rank. Okay, and you get similar kind of stories, that there is some return at the bottom, and there's some return at the top, and nothing in the so it's important not to be in the bottom part, and it's important to be in the highest uh, quality possible. Okay, so that's where you get that's where you get return. So on those things, we get uh, reasonable, similar, consistent stories that the returns are mostly at the high end of the distribution. Okay, so if Following uh, Black and Smith, we could be concerned that there is some uh, measurement error in quality. Uh, so here we are going to uh, take uh, an approach where we're just going to use an instrument of quality. And the instrument that I'm going to use here is a score of the research assessment. The, score, the research assessment is another exercise that happens in the UK every six or seven years, uh, depending on government budgets, uh, which try to assess the quality only based on research of a department. Okay, so 
each member of the department has to select the top four uh, publications that they have, and then so things get ranked, and then the department gets a, a final grade, which affects its funding. Uh, there is quite a high correlation between the research assessment and the measure of quality of the Guardian. Okay, so that's what we see in the first stage over here. The F tests are reasonably, are pretty large. Okay, uh, so what happens when you use uh, research assessment as, a, as an instrument for, for quality? Basically, here our measure of quality doubles. Okay, so it seems to suggest that there was quite a lot of measurement error in when you measure quality at a departmental level. So something that I'm also interested in is why there is a premium to quality. Okay, so if, if you believe in the human capital story, you would think, well, the top quality institution or departments teach more or they teach better. Uh, so there should be some long-term effects. Uh, but basically, if we, if we believe in a, in a human capital model, the returns should be at the subject level. So what is important is that Within an institution, I was taught in a subject that is of high quality. That's why I get some returns. If you believe more in a signaling effect, you probably believe that employers have less of an idea of how good a, departmental, a department is, but they probably have a reasonably good idea how good an institution is. So if you believe in signaling, then you probably believe that the returns should be at the institution level. What's important is that I go to UCD not what I do when I'm at UCD. And if you believe that there is some kind of network effect that alumni hires people from their uh, university, they're probably also likely just to look at institution rather than department, even so yeah, it's a bit less clear. But basically, what I want to do here is to see, okay, for the moment I've only been looking at returns at the departmental level, what happens if I also look at the returns at the institution level? So going back to that table that I was showing you before, so I can do the same analysis. Uh, I'm only going to present the OLS results here using a measure of quality at the uh, institution level. Okay. So when you do OLS, your measure of quality is a little bit higher than when you use uh, departmental quality. Thing that is uh, of interest is that here, when you do instrumental variable, basically you get almost the same estimate. So measurement error doesn't seem to be much of a problem when you measure quality at the institution level rather than at the departmental level. And well, that could be credible because uh, departments are pretty small things, so you're much more likely to make measurement error in trying to assess a small component rather than a, a big institution. Okay, so that's probably my take on it. And then for <laughs> trying to assess, my first pass at trying to assess where the uh, returns to quality are coming from is, well, okay, let's do a horse race where we both, both, both measure of quality. So if you do OLS and you put return to subject quality and return to institution quality, and we know that the two are correlated, but the correlation is not so high, it was only uh, 0.6. Only the returns to quality remains. Okay? And it's not so far than when you don't have any, uh, when you don't have an air, when it's the only measure of quality that you have. The returns to the departmental quality basically goes to zero. And if you instrument both of them, basically here you still get kind of consistent, uh, you still get kind of the same uh, estimate that your returns to institution quality are about 4.5%, and, 
and your returns to subject qualities are pretty much zero. Okay, so that that would suggest that returns to quality are mostly driven by institution quality rather than the departmental quality. Okay, so could do another test of uh, of that. Uh, my concern here is basically that at the moment, subject quality and institution quality are measured uh, exactly by the same uh, variables, and one is just an aggregate uh, version of the other. Okay, so the other way of doing it is to include dummies for all institutions that I've got in my data set, and then have my continuous measure of quality at the departmental level to see whether that buys me anything. Okay, so I only keep institutions that have more than, uh, I think it's 30 graduates in my data set. So I drop some of the institutions because uh, they don't have enough observations. So here are the returns to the institution dummy. Okay, so the, the department makes sure that I can't say anything about which institution is where. Uh, and anyway, UCD is not on it, so you don't have that urge of asking me where, where are we. Uh, but you can see that there is quite a distribution of returns to institutions. So going to that institution or NAC is slightly different. Okay, your returns, you'll get 60% uh, difference here. So having accounted for that institution fixed effect, is there still some effect of the departmental quality? Uh, basically, you get a zero here. Okay, so departmental quality doesn't seem to matter uh, in that data set. What seems to matter is really the institution that you went to and the quality of that institution. Um, so then I was kind of disappointed because I was expecting that the, what was important was the quality at the departmental level because I was kind of supporting the human capital story, but it doesn't seem to be the case, at least in that simple test that I was suggesting here. What seems to matter is really the return so the quality of your institutions and that's much more in line with signaling rather than human capital <coughs> so to finish oh yeah no oh yeah i got quite a few things uh additional outcome that i looked at on uh whether quality matters so uh, there's some other labor market outcomes that we can look at the length of unemployment um we don't find anything, but it could be also because there's not that much variations in unemployment. So people went on the labor market in pretty good time, so there's not that much unemployment. Uh, probability of being in a graduate in a, in a graduate job, also we don't find anything. Um, we have also some measures of the reasons for taking the current job. So basically, whether it was a job you wanted, the only offer that you got, or it was better than being unemployed. Uh, Again, the quality doesn't seem to matter much on those things. Number of jobs and satisfaction, neither. Uh, but then we have some measures of looking back, will you make the same choices? Okay. So will you make the same choices regarding the subjects that you chose and regarding the institution that you chose? And here again, you can say, you can look at the effect of, of quality on those things. <coughs> So I've got a measure of the subject quality. That doesn't affect whether or not I would want to do the same subject. But the institution quality has a positive effect on whether or not I would want to do the same subject. And same for institutions. Okay, so what seems to really bring back the 
Good memories about the choice that students have made is the quality of the institutions, not the quality at the department that they studied. Okay, so just kind of to reinforce the point that both employers and graduates seem to value more the quality <coughs> of their institutions rather than the quality of the subject that they studied in. God, that's very depressing. But you're a good institution. Yeah, you're also a good subject. You'd like to think the yeah, it's pretty depressing, yeah. A bad department in a good university will do okay. Yeah. So you just concentrate on your research and solve the students. Uh, or concentrate whatever you enjoy doing. That's how you research. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that means that, yes, yeah, students who want to maximize their earnings should try to get to the best institution they, get, they can rather than study a subject that they really want to study. They will get, get higher earnings or go to a less good institution but that has a very good uh, department in the subject that they want. These are all first class honor students too. Right? You just take a sample to yeah, undergraduate students. So maybe it doesn't matter what kind of teaching they get, they're just going to do well anyway. Uh, why would they all do well? Well, if they just have this ability to be academically orientated, it doesn't matter what, what kind of teaching they get, they're always going to just... I don't think these are not all first class honors students, are they? I think you've restricted the sample by a number of characteristics, including well, the, uh, the so awards that you bring. Right? Undergraduate students, so they are all undergraduate. Uh, they are all people who are just undergraduate students. I, I got rid of the postgraduate students. But that's and is it just people who got first class? No, 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 no. no. Oh, so the full distribution. I thought that was one of your res yeah. restrictions of the sample. No, 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 no. no. It was just first. Uh, I think maybe uh, oh, maybe okay. it was not clear, but it was uh, undergraduates only. I think that's that's what I. And maybe just related to that, do you have as one of the articles that you looked at um, whether after three years. The likelihood of being in uh, higher education, like uh, taking on a, a higher degree. Uh, I <coughs> did, 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 oh, I don't have it here. I I know whether they have done a postgraduate, so a master's or a PhD. If they are just out, but PhD would be because really, they're only three years after three and a half years after graduation, so PhD would be hard to look at. So I know whether they've done a master's or not. Uh, on top of my head, I can't remember. Uh, what we, what I was getting there. So they they might be excluded from this. People that are still in education. People who are still in education are excluded from here. Uh, so potentially people from, but if you believe that people from good departments are more likely to be still in education because they they invest more and end up doing the postgraduate studies, uh, that may even underestimate. Public, public private sector. Private sector. 